0: And we are live. Okay, very, very cool. All right. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. I am very excited to welcome my guests. This is the moment where I would usually pause with a little bass line, but the intro music is not working this week because I got a little technical difficulties. But I'm very uh, lucky and pleasure to have Micah Parkin on the podcast. Micah, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, happy to. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, my absolute pleasure. So yeah, I usually like to start these episodes off by kind of just talking about your background, who you are, where you're from, and what got you to where you are today.
1: Um, so, well, I'm Micah Parkin. I'm executive director and a founder of 350 Colorado and a board member of 350 Colorado Action. Um, and yeah, I moved here from New Orleans, actually, 12 years ago, uh, two years post-Hurricane Katrina. And um, wow. Yeah, have been working on climate and energy issues for gosh, about 25 years now.
0: Oh, geez. So what first got you interested in the whole climate crisis? 25 years is quite a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I, I have always been, you know, interested in environmental issues, biology and uh, psychology is my background uh, double major and I okay. um it was actually I think during my my now husband at that time boyfriend and I when we were in our twenties did a round the world trip and oh, really? for a year and three months and it was when I was in India I the pollution levels were so extreme that in many of the cities had to wear a mask like a um, a scarf around my face basically to breathe because the pollution was so heavy. And it was there that I really realized that I wanted to focus on energy issues and that the pollution that we're exper- you know, that we were experiencing there, the heavy levels of pollution were coming from energy production, the way that we burn fossil fuels basically for our cars and factories and electricity and everything else. And, you know, solutions exist and we just, you know, need to move toward them. Um, and of course, not only is it polluting us and causing a lot of um, physical damage to our bodies, but also it's causing a whole lot of damage to our biosphere, you know, to, um, and to our climate ultimately. And
0: did that, you, did, that you, um, did, did you have a, a, sorry, did you have a deep understanding of like how the earth systems worked at that point? Did you take classes in high school or university?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was a biology and psychology major, and my biology okay. classes went into ecology pretty deeply. So, yeah, I was very aware of how the systems worked and just was becoming increasingly concerned about the climate crisis.
0: Yeah, that's it's pretty startling. So did they, did they, they kind of had a feeling or like they knew back then how bad it was going to be, but it seems like the evidence is more and more just astounding every single day. So so yeah. you spent a lot of time tra- traveling around the world, and it was in india that's very that's very interesting. How did you kind of get into can it get your foot in the door to the whole climate activism uh, community
1: um, well, funny enough in college i was uh, I joined a, an environmental organization and um, a youth environmental organization, students for environmental awareness, and got interested and more um, you know just Concerned about the various issues that were going on in college. And then once I graduated, I was actually working um, at a group um, down in New Orleans, um, the Audubon, Louisiana Nature Center, which sadly doesn't exist. It was destroyed by Hurricane Katrina, but worked there doing environmental education for a couple of years. And and then I started volunteering with a group, uh, Sierra Club, which I'm sure many of your listeners will be aware of. And I became the the, uh, New Orleans chair of the Sierra Club for several years. And um, was the energy chair for the state of Louisiana for Sierra Club for many years, and so learned more and more about the issues. And it was um, through that that I, I met a fellow named Gary Gresh, and there was an organization called Alliance for Affordable Energy, and they were looking at both um, protecting ratepayers and keeping prices of energy affordable, and also protecting
0: protecting what Ra- rate, rate payers? payers.
1: Sorry, ratepayers meaning the people, yeah. all of us who play, pay electricity bills. Um, so making sure that energy was both affordable and environmentally responsible. And so anyway, so I worked, I started working for that organization and, uh, became the could, director of that organization.
0: Okay. Could you explain to people what exactly the work that Sierra Club Foundation does? Cause I'm not sure how many people are familiar with all these different organizations.
1: Yeah, Sierra Club is, uh, it's a very old organization. Um, I don't work with them, obviously, and I work tangentially just as allies with them. Yeah. But um, but yeah, they're just a very, um, they're one of the older environmental organizations started by John Bauer, I believe, um, gosh, I don't know, 80, 100 years ago. I, I, I might Jeez. be exaggerating there, but a long time ago. Um, So they focus on all kinds of different environmental issues. So I was volunteering with them for a while down in New Orleans. And then, like I say, started working for the Alliance for Affordable Energy and then worked there until um, Hurricane Katrina hit and we were doing a um, bring New Orleans back and uh, green, I was uh, with the green um, rebuild program down there in the lower ninth ward. And that's my first experience with 350, which it wasn't yeah. even called 350 at that point. But um, they Bill McKibben and his seven Middlebury college students who started the organization 350 that I work uh, tangentially with now, um, and created 350 Colorado, they were just forming at that point, And this was right after Hurricane Katrina had hit. And so they were doing their first National action and they called it step it up and they were calling on Congress to step up their action on the climate crisis. And because we had just been hit so hard by Hurricane Katrina, it was one of the, you know, first wake up Yeah, wake up calls of of how we're all being impacted by worse and worse. Um, impacts like major hurricanes and much worse, you know, droughts right. uh, and, and floods and all of the different things that have always happened, but now the, the dice is loaded and they're happening far, far more frequently. And so we, we had an event there on the Ninth Ward Levee, which was one of the hardest hit areas of New Orleans. A lot of deaths um, happened there and a lot of um, homes just wiped and lives wiped off the map there. So we had yeah. a big action there. And so um, that was my introduction to that group.
0: Definitely. So that sounds like quite a wake up call was that definitely sounds like a turning point, not just for your life, but for many people. I know that's one of the modern catastrophes in in recent American history. Did you, did you kind of find some sort of, were you like disheartened by like the government's response to that crisis? Did that kind of prompt you to realize we need to do a more ground level approach to these problems? I'm just curious where that comes into play.
1: Yeah, I think it's during times of catastrophe that usually people are able to pull together. Now, you know, in the case of Hurricane Katrina, we were all evacuated for over two months, and so, yeah. um, so From home, yeah, it's awful. yeah. So we were all, you know, nobody could go back to the city. We were one of the first back, and we didn't have, um, we didn't have electricity or anything when we first went back. That you know, nothing was open. There were sounds so traumatic. It was like yeah, apocalyptic. <laughs> it really yeah, was. no, no, so they no big up For just how these impacts happen. And then, you know, I moved here, I loved New Orleans dearly, but, you know, um, knowing how vulnerable that city is, it's below sea level, hurricanes are getting stronger and more powerful as the climate warms and the oceans warm, it's feeding these stronger, more intense hurricanes. Meanwhile, sea levels are rising as the ice caps around the, you know, and and ice sheets around the world are melting. So sea levels are rising, New Orleans is sinking, hurricanes are getting more powerful, and the protective wetlands. And you're, trying,
0: and you're yeah. trying to start a family somewhere where you guys right. can live a happy, healthy life. So that's exactly. what prompted a move to, to Boulder, Colorado in particular. Exactly.
1: Yeah, is, is there, is,
0: what is it about our lovely community that attracted you to here?
1: Well, um, we were looking for a, a good, safe place to raise kids. And frankly, we were looking at the climate impacts and thinking, you know, high ground.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 100%. <laughs>
1: I move we move here and I kid you not within two years we were on evacuation notice again right here I live pretty oh, much Jesus. in the middle of Boulder and we were on evacuation notice again because the worst wildfire in Colorado's history oh, no. was barreling down the mountains it was the, the yeah. canyon fire of course it's been surpassed by like four even worse wildfires since because all of these things are intensifying so picking up on a trend here. Yeah. yeah. And then a couple of years later, we're hit by the 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 thousand year, hundred year, whatever they wanted to call it, flood that hit in yeah. 2011, in, I guess it was. And, um, yeah. and you know, our whole base, uh, we don't have a basement, but a crawl space all flooded with all of our pictures in it. And so it's like oh, no. boom, 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 boom. these things that used to be once in a hundred years, once in a thousand years are happening like very, very, very frequently, more frequently. And it's because of climate change. And so it doesn't matter where you are is the lesson that I learned. Like everywhere is right. hit. But it's just how hard and with what types of impacts and, you know, you're not safe from climate change anywhere on the planet because it is affecting everywhere. It's just different. Beyond a doubt. of impacts.
0: Cool. Yeah. So, so you're very passionate about it. And I love that about you. And I think that's really awesome. Would you want to um, kind of talk about the process of, of founding the local 350 Colorado and how you, what you were doing at the time for work and then how you kind of transitioned to this leadership role for this organization that's helping all across the state inspire people, including myself.
1: Yeah, well, you know, frankly, after Hurricane Katrina, I felt like, you know, I had been working my tail off as everybody else had been down there to try and fight for a, you know, a healthy rebuild and bring the city back and all of that. But knowing like, as I said what we knew we knew we had to get out of there with two young kids probably would have stayed if we didn't have kids but like looking after their futures too we You're home. moved here and but needed a break so I had two very tiny kids at that time too uh, they were one and three years old my two daughters at that point and so I took a year off and then but very gotcha. quickly started getting sucked back in because I really thought that Boulder was like eco haven nothing you know it would be perfect I could put my feet up nothing needed to be and done. you were proved like,
0: wrong quite quickly
1: <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. yeah I mean I I saw this like coal plant right here in the middle of town, the Valmont coal plant, and I was absolutely shocked and horrified that there was a fully functional coal burning plant right in the middle of, you know, what I thought was like I said, eco heaven, which, you know, it had the, Boulder had the first carbon tax in the nation, you know, was a shining example of where our community, communities across the nation and world ought to be headed. But um, when I, so I, I started volunteering uh, with a local organization to try to shift and have that coal plant shut down. It did stop burning coal three years ago in 2017. So that was a wonderful win for our community. And, um, and you know, for all of us, you know, all around the region, because, because of course, the less pollution we're all having to breathe, the better. And so it was around that time to get to your question about um, how 350 was begun. 350 Colorado was begun. So I was volunteering with that organization, and then um, for about a year, and then a, um, a and that organization was called Clean Energy Action. And um, I became aware of a, a job offering with a group called One Sky, which was focused on trying to get the federal government to pass climate legislation. And so I worked for that group for a couple of years, didn't happen, um, and they ended up merging with 350.org. So I, became, okay. I started working with 350.org, um, which was the same organization I mentioned that had organized that first Step yep. It Up action. And, uh, and so I uh, worked for them for a couple of years as the Colorado and Southwest regional organizer, um, and was helping to found little local groups, local 350 teams around the state, and, um, and then my point person with 350.org. Um, he said, Hey, you know, have you ever considered starting 350 Colorado as its own nonprofit organization? Who like, was
0: who, who this who recommended that to you?
1: A point per- my point person, his name was Phil Araniano, who's one so of the founding students of 350.
0: Po- point person, meaning a local representative for 350.org.
1: No, he, he was a, a national, he was my national point person. He was like my manager, basically, when I was working. Gotcha. He was one of Bill McKibben's seven Middlebury college students who helped found 350.org globally. Um, yeah. so he can you, can you give
0: people a little, sorry, can you give people a little bit more background on the, the, the specific, maybe the mission statement or vision statement of 350.org for someone who's never heard of it?
1: Certainly, yeah, 350.org is um, building a movement to solve the climate crisis. They're very much focused on building a movement. And because, you know, kind of our, our philosophy is when the people lead, the leaders will follow basically, and that it takes a powerful movement of people to move society in the right direction and many groups are focused on lobbying we do some lobbying but we are way uh-huh. more focused on movement building and empowering people individuals so we're mostly volunteer organization
0: movement building and empowering people what would that look like on a, a day-to-day basis or on a pragmatic approach how does that get accomplished
1: um good question so uh we do a lot of different things to help build the movement one is um We have different local teams. So when we find different people around the state who uh, would like to join forces with other people in their local communities, we help them form a local 350 team. We have eight active 350 teams right now across the state of Colorado. We offer climate leadership training. So giving people the skills and tools to learn about um, how how movement works, how movements work, how um, campaign organizing happens, how to figure out when you have a problem in your community that you want to solve an issue, how to bring allies together, how to um, figure out who the best leaders are, the decision makers, mm-hmm. and then different tactics um, to, to try to get to change from, you know, maybe all the way from doing petitions to... Yeah. Canvassing your neighborhoods to holding rallies or marches or whatever, um, and increasing escalating to demand change.
0: Do you think we're, we're at the stage where we're still focused more on generating awareness or is it or is it more important to take action or can you not really distinguish between the two?
1: Um, I, and that's a good question, too. I think that it's both that unfortunately, yeah. I mean, the United States is one of the only nations in the world that where you really still have much of a conversation at all about whether or not the climate crisis exists and whether or And not it's a strong is- one, yeah.
0: unfortunately, because we just love to argue about everything. It's yeah. just the way our culture is.
1: Well, and it's kind of crazy because, frankly, I mean, it's just science. Like, 97% of the, the scientists who study uh, climate around the world all are in complete agreement. And 97% of scientists don't agree on pretty much anything except maybe that the Earth is round, you know? So, well, yeah, I, mean, I mean, there's strong <laughs> consensus. and so Some people don't believe that is, either. <laughs> and, I mean, it's yeah, science. Right. And, I mean, yes, people. there are people who just choose to believe whatever they choose to believe and don't want to listen to science. And that's well, fair enough, but...
0: I think it's about believability weighting and I think many people highly weight people that they respect. Meaning if someone res- who you respect says something in some way, they're more likely to listen to that even if there's astounding amounts of evidence on the other side. And I think it's, it's very important to, to get these people involved as well. Not, and I don't, I don't want to be shoving things down people's throats. I'd like it to come to the, their conclusions their own way. But at the same time, so I just watched this. It was a news documentary or something this week where they took someone from inside the US, the the Rust Belt or whatever, and they took him around and showed him all the evidence on the ground. Like they looked at stalactites and salagmites. They went to Alaska and showed the melting glaciers. And this person, this was someone who originally said, I don't believe in climate change. I don't think humans can have an effect. But when you stack all the evidence, one on top of the other, this guy's like, hold on. Like everything I see is pointing to the fact that it's almost obvious that we are changing the changing the climate. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know, it's, is, it, is it, yeah, it's just a matter of do, do we wanna waste time trying to argue with people who wanna stay in their own way or should we just be focusing on reaching those who will actually make an impact? So I'm curious what your day-to-day kind of workflow looks like at this point. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well I think educating people is always going to be important and mm-hmm. you know for the people who will listen to science sure you know sharing the 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 science which is very very clear as you say I mean it's it's irrefutable really if you actually look at the science but um but then also like having people share their own personal stories cuz gosh I mean the the climate is changing so fast that most of us you know who've lived very long have actually seen changes with our own eyes and so Um, You know, speaking from our own experiences, I think is also really important when we're talking about the climate crisis and like what is happening um, in addition to the science, because oftentimes with certain people, like I'm very scientifically minded and a lot of people are, a lot of people aren't. And that almost like turns them off if you talk too much about that.
0: Connecting Um, on an emotional level can be very powerful. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely, and so people sharing their own experiences and the things that they care about and that they're concerned about is really important. And then you know, but as you say, some people are just never going to listen, no matter what you say. And so you know that, and that's okay. That's their prerogative. I I agree. Yeah. For the people who are going to listen and are really concerned, that's really where we put most of our energy. And like, uh, there have been studies that have shown that um, there was actually a researcher here in in Boulder, and I can't remember her name, but they they were looking at in movements throughout the history of humankind, nonviolent movements, and they were comparing violent movements to nonviolent movements and what was more effective, and by far nonviolent movements were actually more effective. And And what they went on to prove is that it only, when they looked at various movements through history, that they found that it only took about three and a half percent of active people working on an issue to actually shift society in a new positive direction. I can
0: believe that for That's sure. Really,
1: I found that really interesting and also heartening because, you know, if you feel like you've got yeah. to, you know, change 90% of people's minds, that can be pretty overwhelming. But, you yeah. know, if, if an active group of people can help shift Uh, the way that we all think in a positive, better direction. That's a lot more achievable. And so just the day-to-day, like you were saying, is just helping people to give give them the ways to come together because we can only have so much effect as individuals. But when we come together and we work with other organizations, which our organization works extensively with other organizations on all the campaigns we work on, when we all come together, we have a lot of power.
0: Yeah, and what what you don't even realize is... Three percent actually it it is a pretty sizable amount. But the thing is is that if you can sway three percent in this country, we kind of lead social change as we see what's been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement lately. The United States is at the forefront, whether that's a good thing or not, we can leave that for another day. But we are kind of leading the world with this media. So one you know, it, it really is amazing how shifting one person's perspective can have such a large impact because it it waves through everything. <laughs> Yeah. So do you, do you do this before everything that's happened lately? Would you be holding events or would you be lit- going to communities and talking to people? Like what, what is it like?
1: Yeah. It's kind of a mixture. Um, so our, we're very much bottom up, like grassroots up. Many organizations yeah. are more top down and they give the orders from the top and everybody follows. We're kind of the opposite. We, Like I say, are mostly volunteer based. All of our teams are local volunteers and of people who are concerned. And so they would organize around whichever issues are the biggest for them, whether it's the coal plant down in Colorado Springs, which actually they've been organizing the team down there for years and working with coalition partners and they just managed to get it shut down Many years in advance of what it was going to be shut down. It's now going to be shut down in 2023, just three years from now, and they are shifting to a complete to a renewable portfolio, and that's in Amazing. Colorado Springs, which is not exactly yeah. speaking of liberalism or anything. No. And so, you know, so I really, I really don't recognize- like, yeah.
0: I really don't like that this this issue has become politicized, and that's a problem I was going to bring up later. But yeah, it it's just, yeah, I don't know. It it seems like. Like, I don't, I don't really consider myself conservative or liberal. I try to just kind of talk to everyone. That's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. But it's so disheartening to see the way they, everyone seems to think that whatever you're talking about, you have some kind of agenda that you're trying yeah. to push votes to the other. And sure. I think that it's, it's, more, it's becoming more and more obvious that there are, specifically in, in my age demographic, there are, are climate voters. There are people who align very strongly with the right but they know that climate change is real. So they have this inner conflict. So I don't know how they're gonna resolve that in, in the future, but yeah.
1: It shouldn't be politicized. I mean, things like, you know, science is just science and it it's sad that things like that do become and have become politicized because it affects us all. It's just, it's just it's a complex issue though. Yeah, it affects all of our health, all of our safety. And so coming together around something like that is incredibly important and it's a shame when things like that do become politicized, but. so
0: I'm I'm curious. You guys are mostly basically you said volunteers are most of the people, and you're you. Is the organization mostly funded by donations?
1: Yeah, um, it's mostly individuals, um, but and we also uh, apply for grants, and so we get yeah. some uh, some grants as well from different foundations who are concerned about the climate crisis as well. Um, so yeah, that's mostly it. I'm just
0: curious how how the funding is allocated in order to be used like most effectively for obviously re- having an impact.
1: Well, when I first started uh, 350 Colorado, frankly, we didn't have much money and I was mostly having to volunteer my time and then-
0: That's the slowly, way all startups go. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And then slowly over time, we were able to raise enough to- um, to hire more staff. So we uh, brought in a volunteer coordinator help because we are so focused on volunteer. And so helping to train and activate and educate our volunteers and empower them to organize in their own communities was the next big focus. We have a very active, dedicated board of directors who um, who are some of our core activists. And so the funding would um, it mostly has gone toward a handful of uh, staff, people who support our volunteers and their work statewide. And then um, back to your other question about like organizing events, we, before coronavirus, we were organized, we would organize a lot of events, um, you know, different sorts of volunteer trainings, leadership trainings, local meetings, um, where the, you know, the local teams will work on the issues that are, they're concerned about. So, you know, helping to, to purchase what you know necessities for events and um food or whatever things like that would also uh be what some of the money would go to, and then of course online systems like we have to pay for all of those kinds of online systems, so now everything's moved from in person to zoom, so <laughs> we're yeah right, yeah, focused on on that and organizing in that way now, and you know we've held a couple of um online rallies and um, events like that, and trainings and things that have moved all online. Our meetings, our planning uh, campaign meetings and things are all online now.
0: Gotcha. So what I've noticed from, so I talk to a lot of people every week and what I've noticed is that, um, so I knock on people's doors and I see if they have any interest in, in real estate. And of course I mentioned my connection to climate change. And what I found is if someone is, is at student age or like kind of in that area, they always get really, really excited about what I'm doing. And they're all oh, they want to talk to me. Whereas I do get people like that in, in an older demographic. But I was wondering what your thoughts are on how kind of dealing with this, this rift of those who have lived a certain way for a long time, and might not be necessarily be prone to change, they kind of are, they like their car, they like their house, they like the way things are. Whereas on the, on the other flip side, most of the people I talk to who are my age are very passionate, very concerned, and very interested in this issue. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on kind of balancing this this rift, I guess I'll call it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying as far as, um, and we've seen it recently over the last two years, especially with the youth movement coming out really powerfully on the climate crisis yeah. issue with Greta Thunberg from Sweden. Team Greta. And- Yeah, and all of the other youth who, you know, climate strikers and the Sunrise Movement, which really launched the Green New Deal efforts in Congress and the youth are because it's, you know, they're the young people are, of course, going to be the people who are affected by this, you know, people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s aren't going to see as much turmoil um, because of this as young people will. And they'll watch their children have to experience and their grandchildren. And so, I mean, unfortunately things are, um, you know, climate change, it's people say, oh, you know, can you stop it? Well, no, we can't stop it. It's already underway, it's already happening. But the question is how bad are we gonna let it get? You know, how much suffering is gonna have to happen? And I do believe that's up to what we do right now. Like the choices that we make right now are gonna make an enormous difference for like our kids and their kids and you know, the young people who are alive right now. So there is a major rift and with, I think, older people, frankly, just not getting it or not caring as much um, because they kind of frankly feel like, well, you know, I'm only, I don't have to see the worst of it, but that's very selfish perspective. Or it's
0: again, don't see, don't, don't worry about it. If they can't measurely see something, if they, they see on the news, all the, the masks and people getting sick, they're like, oh, we got to get inside for the virus, but they don't see this slowly, slow demon, slowly creeping up and taking your kids and your grandkids, um, yeah. I, just, I wonder if there's a way that we can, we need to get the information in front of people. And then the fact that there's this opposition pushing against it for, for, um, for financial benefit or to keep or to stay in office is a, a huge problem. Yeah. So I, I, um, I was checking out your YouTube channel uh, this week and I know you guys were talking about, um, are you still there? Uh-oh. Bound to happen, folks. We've are ha- having technical difficulties. Michael, let me know when you're back. I think my connection's good. I'm guessing she's having some connections. Well, I was going to start talking about um, kind of pu- not pushing, but um, a more a bigger emphasis on educating people not only about health, but uh, with through diet, but about um, kind of just consuming just less processed and like meats in general. Let's see if we can get her back somehow. Um, Maybe her computer died. Oh, she's gone. We're still live though, folks. No worries at all. Yeah, so I mean, I'll take this time to to talk about how I went vegan. Um, (laughs) I went vegan uh, a couple couple years ago. So I went vegan back in uh, 2016 in June. Hopefully she'll get back on here in a second. No worries at all though. Um, Yeah, so I took Alistair Norcross's uh, um, philosophy class on ethics and he talked about animal ethics and you know that didn't that didn't do it for me you know I, I really believe that people are motivated by by self-interest and then I choose to be motivated by enlightened self-interest and I think that would be a big benefit to uh, a lot of people as well oh, you know what while we're at it I can move this Facebook live to to point and say go on YouTube to watch this um anyways yeah so um, it was when I found out how amazing the health wow. benefits are of, of eating a plant-based diet. And I think this is more relevant than ever. We don't have a big enough focus on, on leading a healthy lifestyle. Everyone's worried about social distancing and not, um, and not um, spreading the virus. But a great way to not spread. Hi, Micah. <laughs> a great, I'm, talk- I am, uh, I'm talking about um, veganism about and a plant-based No, no problem. I was just I was like doing a little side note about how I went vegan four years ago and talking about plant based diet, and how a great way to stop the spread of the virus is by by leading a healthy lifestyle, which would include limiting meat consumption. And that's so so relevant. So I was wondering you guys do I know I was talking about your YouTube channel and how you guys released a video about regenerative agriculture. And I was wondering, you know, in Colorado, we have such amazing farm communities, there is that farm to table movement going on. Do you want to say anything about that?
1: Yeah, um, it's, well, I, I come from a farming family. I've always loved to garden and, you know, I still grow a lot of my own food. I keep chickens. I have, I'm a beekeeper and, you know, so yeah. um, I think I'm personally very, very interested in that, but it's also, it ties into the climate crisis a lot and local resilience. So
0: hugely. Yeah. It's probably, in my opinion, probably the most essential factor, specifically large-scale yeah. agriculture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of people just focus on energy consumption. And that is, of course, the majority of, you know, the fossil fuel burning is, um, is for energy uh, consumption in our vehicles, in our homes, you know, all of that. And of course, there are lots of amazing and more affordable nowadays. Renewable energy has become more oh, yeah. affordable than fossil energy, which is why so many of the electric utilities are, are starting to shift really quickly. But anyway, back yeah, to your question. Need um, yeah, Agriculture is a huge part of the issue, too. And like the globalized industrialized food system right now that we all have done it's is is. a mess, and it's not resilient, which we saw too clearly with uh, coronavirus. And it's also um, extremely energy intensive, and um, and there are much better ways to do it that aren't destroying our soils and making our bodies less healthy. Um, with all the pesticides and herbicides, and and also the cool thing is in addition to reducing the greenhouse gas emissions that are associated with our high energy intensive food system, we could be sequestering an enormous amount of carbon from the atmosphere into the soils through regenerative agriculture, and it's, part, it's one of the most important solutions that we could be doing just by using techniques that help to sequester that carbon, pull it out of the atmosphere and into the soils, and it helps build the soils and and make better plants at the same time and feeds our bodies better.
0: Yeah. I think what something a lot of people don't realize is that delayed gratification is one of the most beautiful parts of life where if you, inv- I'm talking about in an investing sense, if you invest in your future by eating whole grain foods, eating a healthier diet. And now you said you have chickens and you, you beekeep, like just because I've chosen to go vegan or some vegans come up and say, Oh, meat is murder. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's all about building a future that's happy and healthy for you in your own way so if that means if that means cutting back on just processed meats i mean that's a great first step cutting down to some people do like meatless mondays and stuff like it people don't understand that. what is it like a single burger patty they use like 1200 liters of water to produce like it's like oh what 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 difference does it make it's still going to be in the store it's like no like the stores, the the grocery stores, are a business, and they're not going to create product or buy product if people aren't um, consuming it. So um, yeah, I'm just a big fan of delayed gratification. Obviously, I, I started my own business and I started this vegan thing, and now I'm at the peak of my health. I started four years ago. I'm always, and you can always get better and better and better. And I think that's kind of the the idea of life and humanity in the world is we can create a better world and. I'm very happy with the way things are, but I'm very lucky to be in the position that I'm in. But we have to constantly be thinking about how we can improve and get better and better and better.
1: Absolutely. I think that's such an important point, Ethan. And just taking steps, because I swear it can just, you see people get so overwhelmed. They look at this like massive global crisis, multiple crises that we're facing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to become overwhelmed by it. But And that's why what you were just saying is so important. Taking those one step at a time, baby steps, one at a time to just, Start to shift toward what we don't want and toward what we do want.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what your opinion on like the role of money in the solution to this. I personally, I think I have a bias. It's my opinion, but um, because I come from a business background, I seem to, your organization is all about um, grassroots working from the bottom up. I just have this idea that I'm going to make a lot of money and then I'm going to use it to make change from the top down. I think there's a lot of people that can get on board with that and it doesn't have to be one or the other, but I was, yeah, I was just wondering, there's going to be more and more uh, socially responsible businesses growing every year. Um, yeah. So any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, the, I think you're right. I mean, people can do a lot of good, especially like, um, if they do raise a lot of money and can give towards causes they care about, it it can make That's an one way change. And or if they, you know, or if they're just individuals and can give some of their own time or or chip in what they do have, that all helps too. But um, the role of business and money in all of this was interesting point to bring up, and I think it's huge actually because right yes. now the fossil fuel industry, for example, um, stocks that people fossil fuel stocks have been being outperformed. Uh, big time by not by stocks that don't include fossil fuels in those portfolios. And for example, we had our state pension fund, PARA, um, here in Colorado, we had an analysis done that showed that over the last 10 years, they lost out on, it was around $2 billion, um, I believe, if I'm remembering that right, I should look it up. But a lot of money in the billions that were right. lost because they were investing in stocks that included fossil fuels that were being outperformed by non-fossil fuel stocks, and you know a lot of um, companies, especially oil and gas, are um, really tanking in a big way. They've never, um, for oh, example, no. the, fossil, the fossil fuel, like the oil and gas fracking companies, have never, aggregate, yeah. never, never had even one year of of positive cash flow, and they're over um, $250 billion in debt right now in aggregate huh. in the United States. And so, and they're propped up like a Ponzi scheme from never ending loans that just kind of help right. to pay. Um, well, they,
0: to be fair, they have supported the backbone of this, of this country and many others for a long time. So their role, the role was served. Yeah. yeah. The
1: fracking industry, funny enough though, has it only kicked off around 2008. And so, well, it made um, a
0: big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, U.S. is now a net net exporter of fossil of fossil fuels. So that's it is good as far as a power position. goes. Yeah, it
1: definitely generated a lot of oil and gas, but it did it. Um, it was never actually profitable. It's never had, like I said, since it's kicked off in 2008, never had one year of positive cash flow in aggregate, that industry. And it's because it takes so much energy and so much money to to frack, basically, um, that the, the business model just doesn't work. And lenders have kept pouring into it, you know, with lots of glossy brochures going to different investors saying, you know, we're, oh, look at this amazing new find we have. And so they they kept that can being kicked down the road with never-ending loans for many, many years. But over the last, I'd say, year, year and a half, investors have started to wake up. And that industry, uh, we have many companies um, going bankrupt. They have been for a couple of years, but it's it's really being exacerbated now by um, the serious downturn in oil prices during co- the coronavirus right. increased consumption and the glut on the market. So it's well, more yeah, important go ahead. that just, you know, with looking at the finances that, um, that we don't, that we make people first of all aware of the fact that, you know, fossil fuels are Far more expensive now than renewable energy for electricity and um, and that it makes a lot of economic sense in addition of course to like cleaning up our air and preventing yeah, climate. No it also makes sense now economically which when i started this work 20 25 years ago started working on this mm-hmm. stuff solar was incredibly expensive and wind was pretty expensive then too but now we're at a point where solar and wind is cheaper than fossil fuel energy and so yeah. it makes a lot of economic sense, but there's a lot of entrenched um, power and um, and money in the industry still that kind of is wanting to keep the status quo, regardless. And so, but I, I just think that it does play an enormous role. And so divestment it has been a big focus of the movement, trying to um, put pressure on um, on companies like J P Morgan Chase, which is the bank that uh, puts far more money into fossil fuels than any I've other. I've heard of them for example. And so trying to encourage some of those lenders to stop propping up the companies that are perpetuating the problem.
0: Yeah, let it die if it can't make it, for sure. Um, so to transition a little bit, I was cu- I'm was i curious of so your thoughts on carbon sequestration, or however the words pronounced, technology. So I watched a video about carbon engineering. In fact, I've watched several videos. I'm sure you're aware of this company. I'm wondering what you think the role in actual physical sequestration not just from, from uh, I'm saying the word wrong, perhaps, not just from trees, but from actual man-made technology. Of course, it will take energy to power those plants. But in one of the videos, um, it said that 45,000 plants of, these, of this carbon engineering plant, or whatever you want to call it, could make us go completely carbon neutral. And that got me really excited, and I started like pulling out my calculator and I was Like, I can sell this many houses. We can build this many plants, and, all, and I was just wondering what you think about that role in the future of the yeah. cli- of the climate.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think obviously the, the first easiest and proven thing we need to do is, of course, uh, let trees. I mean, plants and and our our soils are amazing at at carbon sequestration, and so no doubt definitely planting trees using regenerative agricultural techniques so that we can use um, biological uh, sequestration which is very proven and it works and it also improves our soil all at the same time Um, and you know just makes uh, the air healthier as well but um, as far as other types of sequestration I'm I'm skeptical but optimistic like I would love to see some technologies that that actually work now some of the, the sequestration techniques where they talk about just Pull it, capturing carbon and just shoving it underground. I mean, carbon well, dioxide is voluminous. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so much volume. They also,
0: they also yeah. want to resell it as fuel again. That's mm-hmm. the carbon engineering model. I'm not sure if you're aware. So they want to pull it out, package it up, and then burn it again. <laughs> so no, so you, you weren't aware of that. So well, that that's the carbon engineering business model. That's how they're getting investors. Or it's a it's a sustainable use of of carbon. So I know a lot of environmentalists are not super excited about that.
1: Well, I think you know I don't know how you would. I mean, because once fossil fuels are burned, you know it it, it it's burned and it combusts and it turns into CO two and all of the other things. And so yeah. capture CO two carbon dioxide. But when you when you do when you sequester it, the problem is. Um, like underground sequestration, for example, um, or in the oceans when uh, the oceans sequester a lot of carbon. But what happens when water um, that's underground or in the oceans combines with CO2 is you get carbonic acid. So that's why our oceans have become incredibly acidic. And just you know, my lifetime, the acidity of the oceans has increased hugely to the point that a lot of um, shelled organisms and, and uh, you know, different types of oysters and anything with a shell coral reefs are all they're disintegrating as the oceans are becoming I've seen it
0: with my own eyes I I went yeah we went snorkeling and scuba diving in the great barrier reef two years ago now and you could see everything is just dead it's awful
1: The same problem happens when you try and sequester carbon underground in different caverns and things. When it mixes with water that is underground um, it becomes carbonic acid and the acid can eat away at the, at the different layers of soil and slowly Mm -hmm. percolate out as the acidity kind of burns through and then it escapes eventually is what's likely to happen. And so I I definitely am concerned about trying to capture and sequester under the ground. And as far as reusing, I mean, you would have to do something to if you're going to capture CO two. Well, CO two doesn't burn; it's what we exhale, right? And so you'd have to do yeah. something to it then, which would probably take a lot of energy to make it into something right. else that you can burn again. So, I mean, where would that energy come from? And I'd love to. I'd love to see it happen and work. Um, I haven't seen uh-huh. anything that that um, yet that at least seems to be. Have you
0: heard of carbon engineering before today?
1: Carbon Engineering. Um,
0: it's a company. It's, it's Canadian-based.
1: Oh no, I haven't heard of that company. Yeah, so, they- so you
0: should definitely look into it. It's very interesting. They've been getting some decent investors, but again, their their business model is based on actually creating uh, reusable fuel. Again, so that's yeah. So it's interesting. Something to look into. Um, at this point, I don't, me probably many others. I'll we'll do. I'll do anything. You know, it's it's. A, I, I see it as a game of survive or, or not. Yeah. so I'd love to have a nice balanced approach where we can make the world a better place but as far as I'm concerned I'm lightning focused on survival and I want to do it through helping people of course but whatever sort of calculation we need to make or formula or projections I'm, I'm game so that's what I'm yeah. kind of trying to figure out
1: exactly well and the cool thing is the solutions already exist I mean renewable energy right. is the solution and re- things like regenerative agriculture and solar energy we've been doing it for a very long time it works mm-hmm really really I mean, cheap now compared to what it was just even I mean you the know.
0: whole world is powered by the sun that's why we exist exactly. you know it's that's exactly. what people don't even realize
1: and yeah and now the the fact that solar and wind um is cheaper than fossil fuel energy like excel energy which is the you know main energy company electric company in Colorado yeah. uh, for most of us use it and um they put out a whole bunch of a request for proposals and they got loads of bids in from different companies who were offering wind power, solar power, wind plus battery, solar plus battery for storage backup. And in all of those cases, even the solar plus battery, which is one of the most expensive things historically to do, it was cheaper than the fossil fuel energy, than new gas plants. And certainly nobody's looking at, at new coal at this point. Coal's definitely on the way out. But um, out. So that's a really exciting <laughs> Yeah, you know, in history, and it wasn't like that. Like I said, when I started this work, renewables were a lot more expensive, and now they're cheaper. And so that was a real uh-huh. turning, re- reaching cost parity. Here and we it-
0: are. I, it's, it seems a lot about what I'm getting from you is it is most important to just inform people and get them involved because some of the stuff you said today I was was not aware of. So it's just so it seems like very essential. But I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are on people who I, I talked to actual career environmentalists and and they say it's it's too late so i'm I'm wondering how do you respond to that or what are your thoughts on someone who says the damage is done it's it's too late i i can't know for sure the models change but it's just that's a, a disheartening thing that i hear and i and i i pound back and i'm like even if it is too late i'm gonna i'm gonna assume it's not and just know that i could fight till the end and just know that at least i tried
1: yeah, I, it goes back to what I was saying earlier of like people saying, well, you know, is it too late to stop climate change? Is it too late to stop global warming? Well, yeah, no, it's late to stop it because it's already happening, it's been underway for a while now and decades. we're going to continue to see impacts because all of the CO2 and all the methane and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere are going to be in the atmosphere for a very long time. Methane shorter lived so like trying to stop all the me- methane leakage especially from oil and gas fracking is hugely important right now because it's such a powerful greenhouse gas but it is short lived in the atmosphere. So, you know, that's important but CO2 can hang around. Carbon dioxide can hang around the atmosphere for for hundreds even thousands yeah. of years. It will still be there so i mean methane is
0: very closely tied to agriculture animal farming as well that, people don't you know realize that? yeah the burps
1: yeah and so i mean like so what we do, what I try and say to people is that yes, there are gonna to continue to be impacts as, as all, all of the greenhouse gases accumulate and, and you know, build up in the atmosphere. But I, as I said earlier, I feel like what we do now matters so much because we still, I believe, have time to reduce the emissions if we act very concertedly and determinedly. This
0: year, today, yeah, this weekend.
1: We can go ahead and and um, start to reduce the greenhouse gas accumulation, and of course the atmosphere. You know, all of those gases can be up; they can uh, be taken up by plants, by organisms in the soil, by the ocean, and we can decrease the CO2 buildup um, in the atmosphere. Rapidly, but only if we act concertedly, and that means shifting off fossil fuels as quickly as we can, adopting regenerative agriculture techniques as quickly as we can, and the the key to me is trying to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature rise, I which is what I would
0: love that
1: have all Well, the, well
0: the Paris the Paris Accord is targeted at two, is it not? And it's like, well, we have to do two, and then we'll do anything we can to get it as close to 1.5. That's what it was, right? Yes,
1: exactly. So their, their ideal goal um, that they were striving for is 1.5 with a bottom line of two. But sadly, right now, we're on a, a trajectory more towards three or four, or even five degrees Celsius temperature rise, which is a world that we cannot even imagine.
0: It's a desert it's a desert planet. I, lo- I, I, I watched a video where the enti- if we got to four the entire world would be a desert, except for Canada, parts of Russia, and the Antarctic would be the only actually livable areas, meaning we've got, at this point, probably 10 billion or 11 billion people all squeezed into the poles with no food or water, and that would be awful. Cool, yeah, so just to mass just... Mass
1: migration, mass wars over resources, which we've already seen or some, worse, according yeah. to the Pentagon.
0: I mean we've really only just scratched the surface today and I know it's really complex and not everyone will be able to follow all the stuff but I think inspiring these discussions I'm sure they're happening every day and we want more and more of them to happen every day. And on that note, what would you say to an individual who is concerned and would and but not existentially concerned like you or I who is going to dedicate their career to this but something they can do beyond just like changing their diet, how would how would an individual kind of foster an environment that is has people knowing what's going on and how, how they can make an impact. Sorry, that wasn't worded very well, but yeah, you got it. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally, get it. Um, Well, I think, you know, Three things, really. One is educating ourselves, which you brought up several times, like mm-hmm. learning about the issues and educating ourselves of what the steps are that we can do. Taking just some steps in our own personal lives, I truly do believe is, is important, and it all adds up. Um, you know, one person alone doesn't add up, but when we all start taking actions in the right direction, it does add up. And then thirdly, getting involved. If, you know, if people feel inspired and they have the energy and time, like do what you can. You know, some people, they're taking care of an elderly person, you know, person in their life or small children or whatever, and they don't have much time, just do what you can to, mm-hmm. to shift things in your own life. And maybe, you know, getting involved with an organization. Um, I strongly encourage people to get involved with an organization working on these issues. And if you only have time to click a button to send an email to your representative, fine. like the
0: video, share it on Facebook. We see how much of a difference this makes as far as social change. We saw a wave of explosions of social change going on in the last three weeks that same stuff can happen. You don't, like I, my, my social media presence is, is very, I don't know, new. It's, I don't have too many followers. So when one person likes my video, the boost that it does to the algorithm can be amazing. So if you don't have time, if you're working every day, you get home at nine o'clock, you click like on, on Micah's video that she shared, that could make all the difference in the world. You never know what one little step can do.
1: That's right. Things, all the small steps we take set off ripples. And so it can have bigger effects than we can even understand. And so I think, you know, take whatever action you have time for, for people who have more time and are more passionate, they can get as involved as they want to be, especially in 350 Colorado, where um, we're, as I say, very grassroots, very volunteer driven, our volunteers do most of the work of the organization, and we just support them. So there's a lot that people can do depending on their, their passion and their time and energy.
0: Yeah, so if someone wanted to to get in contact with the organization, would you recommend just going to 350.org? Literally, that's what it is, 350.org, or 350 Colorado. How would you recommend they get involved with your specific organization?
1: If they want to get involved here in Colorado, I would say go to 350colorado.org. So Mm -hmm. dot coloradoorg That's where I
0: found her, guys. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and just um, sign up on the email list and you'll start getting emails about how to get more involved and you can sign up. There's a volunteer form if there's something if there's an issue that or an area of of our work that you're most interested in. We have lots of different campaign committees that meet monthly and discuss like next steps of what we want to do and accomplish together. And so you can get involved with a campaign committee if you want to, too, or a local team in your area.
0: So many options, guys. It's all (laughs) up to us to decide. Well, Micah, thank you so much for joining us. I was very, very excited to have you this week. I really appreciate you taking time on this lovely Independence Day to join yeah. me on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, happy fourth, happy fourth to all. Um, we got a bright future ahead of us. We, we're the ones that are building it. So um, yeah, as always, if anyone is looking to buy or sell real estate in Boulder, Colorado, it would be my absolute pleasure to assist you. Thank you all for joining us on episode five. And we will be back next week to talk about more exciting and positive stuff. Thanks again. Take care.